the 22nd episode of falling with style i'm doug and i'm derek and this is an ongoing pixar movie marathon podcast each episode is dedicated to exactly one movie in the pixar animation studios canon today we're kicking off what we've been referencing as the current era of pixar movies we're talking about the suburban fantasy film full of magic and extraordinary adventures but with a kind of boring name we're talking about onward Onward. Onward. Why? It's not. We'll get into it, I guess. Onward <laughs> was written by Dan Scanlon, Jason Headley, and Keith Bunin. It was produced by Corey Ray, and it was directed by Scanlon. Onward was released widely on March 6, 2020, about nine months after Toy Story 4, and notably just weeks, like a couple weeks, before widespread theater shutdowns in the United States due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it, yeah. Uh, Prior to preparing for this conversation, Doug had seen this movie a couple times, I think exactly twice. Um, And Derek, I know you've seen it, but I don't know how much. I saw the one time right before when it came out, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw this one in theaters. This is like one of my fun facts because I am among a very small group of people who not only saw Onward in theaters, but went to a movie theater that week, I think. Um, Oh, wow. Because this movie came out on the 6th and I just went back in my Twitter to check. I saw it on the 11th, which I think was like two days after Ohio's first confirmed cases of COVID. So it was like in that spot where it was like we were aware of it, but I don't think knew that like we shouldn't necessarily like go places <laughs> yeah right in that narrow window in march when it was that narrow window yeah that narrow window in march when like we were aware that it existed but like weren't aware of the seriousness of it it's just like yeah that's wash yeah. your hands everybody i guess right like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah fine. and i think it's i think it's worth talking about i think there are actually bits and pieces unfortunately i know we, we tend to talk about like fun stuff but we also talk about serious stuff too yeah and i think it's there are going to be bits and pieces of the pandemic along the way that i think we touch on as they pertain to like pixar uh because i think each film moving forward has a different sort of uh, pandemic story which sounds weird but i think as you get like as we go through them i think it'll make a lot of sense because we're entering the era that is like the non-sequel era we're entering the 2020s we're entering sort of a more uh, in some ways more artistic and imaginative era than what sure. we've kind of been coming from. And that was all the planned part, right? The unplanned part is that every movie we're going to talk about uh, for the next few months was all are, are like the pandemic movies, the like the quote yeah. Disney plus movies, which was obviously not uh, the goal. This one, uh, like I mentioned, started in theaters. Uh, no one had any other plans. And then I think, a couple weeks later, it went digital, and then a few weeks after that, it dropped on Disney Plus. So it's it's a weird, it's a weird situation, and it yeah. affected a lot with this movie. I think no, I think all of those are really good points to bring up, though. Like, I mean, the thing is, like any any movie conversation now for movies of the past few years, the COVID thing is just going to be part of the conversation. Like, it impacted that industry so much you know and i mean it affected everything obviously but it affected you know the movie making and tv making industry in a very like in very particular specific ways that are so unlike 
the entire history of the industry, you know? So I think that context is really important. And I do think like weirdly this movie, I feel like at least my perspective of it is that more than any other Pixar movie, I feel like the context of it maybe overtook like the movie itself. Like I feel like the conversations were about, you know, the box office performance, it's placed as a movie that came out around the pandemic, the Chris Pratt of it all, the fact that it comes out after this long stretch of like sequels from Pixar, mm-hmm. like all of those things are part of the conversation, honestly, more than the movie itself. I feel like a lot of people having those conversations didn't even see the movie. So yeah, it's it, which is sort of weird going into it, you know, I think that's fair. I think we probably want to start with some of that stuff so that we can like dedicate more time mm-hmm. to the actual movie than most people do. Yeah. Um, and I would start with, I think the box office, right? I think when people talk about Pixar movies and we are recording this for, for context, not that we always date ourselves, but for context, we're recording this like a few weeks or about a month or so after Lightyear dropped. So that gives you like a timeline here onward. Unfortunately. And I think unfairly, is considered Pixar's second box office bomb. And I think that's a wild thing to say, given that it spent only two regular weeks at the box yeah. office. And that's like argue, like ostensibly regular weeks, right? Yeah. Like, like I said, when I went to the theater, I was the only person there. And I think it's because people were worried about going out, but not everybody knew. Ex- like, I didn't know the, the severity, I guess, you know, like yeah. a lot of people didn't. So like, I was still willing to go to a movie theater on like my day off Um, but I think it's just insincere to call this a box office bomb in the way that you wouldn't. Yeah. There's like an asterisk next to it. Like all of 2020 in terms of movie box office is a wash. Like none of that, like that is, it's, is on its own weird curve that like you can't, that you can't could be compared to any other year of movies ever, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And every, every movie that week performed are like poorly. And I'm, I've got my air quotes up, you know? Yeah. Um, but we know why, like, it's not a mystery and it would be, yeah. I think it would, I, I just think it's a weird thing to do. And unfortunately mm-hmm. I think that with Pixar, anything that's considered a bomb and it's, it's very, very, there are very few movies. In fact, only three that people consider bombs, uh, like true bombs um, from Pixar. And I think once a movie is slapped with that label, it, uh, it really like puts a sort of stench on that movie that makes people not treat it fairly. I, I we'll get into it, but I think like, I like this movie a lot actually. So it bums yeah. me out when people do that. What are the other two bombs? A good dinosaur, obviously, but what's the third one? Good dinosaur is definitely a bomb. And the other one is Lightyear. Uh, right now people are projecting really? it to be, I mean, it, it are calling it a bomb, projecting it to be a bomb. Yeah. Again, we'll have to sort of like, it, it's got a different context because Technically, the pandemic's not over and movie going still isn't the same, but years of Pixar movies going straight to Disney Plus and then that being your first movie in theaters. I mean, I think it makes sense that you wouldn't have as many people coming to the theater to see a movie that they're like, we're going to see on Disney Plus in a few weeks like we always have been anyway. So we're going to have a big, long (laughs) conversation about the about that when we get to Lightyear. I have big feelings about that. But yeah, Lightyear is currently uh, box office bomb number three. It is funny that like the timing of this podcast and the timing of the most recent Pixar movie, it's like bookends to yep. the, the Pixar theater thing. Yep. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the one thing, like you mentioned them, but that's the one, like the big thing I think that sort of puts a weird yeah. stink on this. The other one you mentioned is Chris Pratt, which I, lots of people have lots of things to say about Chris Pratt. Do you, was the, was like the, the, the. 
all the pushback or whatever against Chris Pratt, like, was that happening when this movie came out or was that after this movie? Well, so I don't he, remember. Was, he was announced as a cast member in 2018, which of which would have only been, I think, a few years after Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Maybe like a year after Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And I don't know that like the Chris Pratt backlash, the Pratt, the Pratt lat. Nope, that doesn't work. <laughs> um, I was trying something and it didn't work, everybody. Thank you for sure. bearing with me. Uh, I don't know if the backlash really like was there even for Guardians 2. I don't no, really remember. I don't think so. I don't think it was. I think it really, I mean, I think it was a thing. I think people started being annoyed with how he was being used in movies first, which I still also am and agree with of like, like, cause he shows up in Jurassic world and like passengers or whatever, where it's like, Oh, there's this guy who is very charming and funny and you're ma- and he's just like showing up in these like boring action roles. Like this is, I don't like this. And then I think that coincides with, I think that coincides with, you know, the stuff coming out of Adam being may or may not being associated with like a homophobic church. Mm -hmm. And then I think that on top of like right after this movie, he's cast in like other, you know, like he's cast as the voice of Mario and stuff like that. Like, I know it's a little farther down the line, but I think, I think this, that might've stacked on top of this where it's sort of like, well now he's like showing up in these roles. We don't really want him in that. He doesn't even really seem fit for, he's not like the actor we wanted him to be. And like, maybe he's a shitty person, maybe not, but it's so vague that it's just kind of confusing. Cause he hasn't actually d- directly said anything bad, but also he hasn't really directly said anything good to like defend himself either. So I, but does it's, he need to defend himself? If he didn't say anything, it's all very like the whole Chris Pratt thing is very strange. Honestly, I, I do find it to be a really strange fascination and I, I think it's worth noting because we're a podcast and people who know us probably know us from the internet. I do think it's worth noting it's mostly an internet thing. People like yeah. Chris Pratt otherwise. <laughs> like sure. Twitter hates Chris Pratt. So it is really strange. There's definitely, um, you know, even just listening to filmmakers talk about him, which I, I heard plenty of researching this movie, right? Um, it's just a very different conversation. And, and I know there's plenty to be said about how Hollywood folks treat other Hollywood folks, but yeah. it's all really strange. I think this also might coincide the sort of backlash. I think it might've been uh, after Guardians 2 that Chris Pratt did the like God is real thing on like MTV or something, which, you know, context, yeah. audience, all that sort of stuff. So sure. I think it, yeah, a lot of things happened all at once. I think it's worth noting, and, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this because I actually have some stuff that I think about Tom Holland that I think is all wrapped up in this as far as like casting and roles and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think like when Chris Pratt has the right roles, he really shines. Yeah. And I think sure. this is one of them. Like, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Barley's one of my favorite Pixar characters, and it would be silly for me not to attribute some of that to Chris Pratt's performance. So it's all a really weird thing to consider, I think. Um, and, and you know, shitty people can be talented, and I don't know if he's shitty or not. So just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I do think you're right. That's one of the other things, at least in retrospect, that people are like, oh, isn't that the Pixar movie that, that Chris Pratt's in? Right. And it kind of kicks off his like streak of animated things after Lego. It was like Lego movie and then this. And now he's in like everything. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just like, why are you, why is he Mario? I don't know. Like it's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So like I, I get, I get the annoyance with his place in Hollywood. And I think that there's just, just generally like, oh, cool. Straight white guy just gets to be like in everything, like regardless of whether he's fit for the part or not. I agree with you that I think he is very good in this role. I think this role is like, working to his strengths like i think this is exactly the kind of role that he excels at and i you could one could argue this is the role that he probably the only kind of role that he 
has proven to be good at. I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything that isn't sort of like yep. the sort of uh, kind of loser, overly confident loser that he, he was in Parks and Rec and in Guardians and in this. I think he excels at that. I don't know if I've ever seen him be in anything else where he's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I think he himself <laughs> describes Barley as a goofy ding dong. And like, that's exactly who Chris Pratt is great at playing. I mean, like yeah. it's a return to form as far as like what made him famous, which was Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec, you know? Right. So, yeah. so at, at the very least, this isn't a Chris Pratt as Mario situation. This is one where it's like, no, this was, this was a smart casting move. You know, yeah. I, I have seen, and I don't disagree with it. It is like weird. Cause I feel like this part is literally just like Jack Black. Like I, I mm-hmm. feel like, it could be Jack Black in the role. Marley kind of looks like Jack Black and Chris Pratt is kind of doing a Jack Black thing. And yeah. I would have liked to have seen that too. <laughs> well, I think, but I think for me, I guess we can just get it. We don't have any order here. We could do whatever we want. So yeah. I think casting wise, and I'll just, I won't leave people hanging on the Tom Holland thing either. Now that I've said that he's a beloved person. I can't leave people hanging. I just, I think Tom Holland and Chris Pratt do an amazing job in this movie they're not what I would call inspired casting. They're like no. the most straightforward, like expected on the nose casting, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like they do a really good job and they, it sounds like they knew exactly who they wanted, right? Like they, they said like, we need somebody who's good at doing the sort of like anxious, but excited sort of like hesitant character. And that's a lot of what Tom Holland's Spider-Man is. Tom Holland plays that character really well. He, does it he as does. Peter Parker. He does it as Ian Lightfoot. He does it as Nathan Drake. It's kind of his like go-to American character. <laughs> sure. So it makes sense that he knocks it yeah. out of the park based on what they were imagining. But I do think that 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 is maybe a point in point against the movie as history continues because you get a string of Pixar movies after this that are very diverse and like feature a lot more, I think it's either inspired casting or, or a cast that features more people that, you know, haven't done as much acting or aren't as prominent. And so then people look back on this and it's just sort of like, well, this is the movie that has the two Marvel white guys. Cool. Yeah. Great. Like the, I kind of <laughs> could see that, you know, the like, Pixar it's, movie again, where they like plucked two stars that were already in Disney's roster, which again, right. They 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 knew what they wanted, and it sounds like they they sort of uh, made the characters work for them. And so I get it, but also, you know, one of the criticisms of, criticisms of this movie that I see a lot is that it doesn't necessarily like push as far as it could have. And I think that's yeah. reflected in their casting as well, at least in their two main main it's cast like, members. It's just another part of you know the the conversation about this movie, like the the meteor part, or at least the part that I think is often per- focused on, is the context and like the meta of it and that all like all of that I think plays into it. It's just such a it just occupies such a weird mm-hmm. space in Pixar's filmography. Um I think kind of to the to the detriment of of uh of everything because this is a good movie, I think. Like I, I like this I, I do yeah. like this movie a lot. And, I like it a lot. I feel very yeah. connected to it. Like personally yeah. I think it's 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 one that really works for me, but I think also just works as a movie. Sure. Yeah. Let's uh let's get into some of the the folks who made this here. There, uh, two of them we're we're pretty familiar with. Uh, like I mentioned, Dan Scanlon directed this and conceived of the story and 
co-wrote the screenplay. We know him because he directed Monsters University and was a story artist on a bunch of other Pixar movies. As a refresher, he was brought on to Pixar during Cars after having done a few direct-to-video Disney and DreamWorks animated films, and he's been a Pixar guy since. He's part of their senior creative team. Um, I expect to see a movie from him again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was produced by Corey Ray, who was his collaborative producer on Monsters University. So I think they're kind of a bit of a pair, it, sa- it sounds like at this point. Um, she's been paired up with with other folks as well. Um, but I think currently that's kind of their their dynamic. We talked about her as well. But again, refresher, she and her wife, Darla K. Anderson, are, or at least in the case of Anderson, were, because Anderson left um, about five years ago at this point, I think. Uh, they're a bit of a production powerhouse at Pixar, uh, having served in some sort of managerial or production role for like half of the studio's films. So... That's pretty cool. <laughs> There's this yeah. lesbian couple that have like had a pretty like you know serious hand in like half of Pixar's movies. Very cool. Um, wish that that had come through more in one of the characters in this movie or <laughs> Look, three of the characters in this movie. We'll, if you ask we'll me, talk. yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I think we're on the same wavelength. We will talk about that. I think that's got to be its own little segment. Yeah. Fair, fair, <laughs> fair. <laughs> the other two, the other two folks uh, on the sort of like core creative team are the other writers who are Jason Headley and Keith Bunin. Uh, Keith Bunin's a playwright. Uh, but he has done a couple screenplays. He wrote the screenplay for the film Horns starring Daniel Radcliffe, which was like mm. a dark comedy mystery horror type indie weird thing. Yeah. Uh, one of Daniel Radcliffe's type of movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. And then I guess, have you heard of the HBO series In Treatment? I've heard of it, but I, I don't really, I'm not super familiar with it. It sounds fascinating to me it was on for like four seasons which i think equated for four years i think they did Mm -hmm. a season a year and it was about uh each season was about different patients going to the same therapist Mm. and and it aired multiple days a week and so monday would be this patient so every monday you would follow this patient every tuesday you'd follow this patient and he wrote all the episodes for one of those patients uh named oliver who was a middle schooler dealing with his parents' separation. So you can kind of see where some of that might have ended up here. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it sounds like a fascinating show, and I will probably watch at least a little of it because I want to see how they did that. Yeah, for sure. And then Jason Headley, I guess, as, as far as I can tell, garnered attention first for doing like a few viral shorts. I mean, he made shorts and they went viral. And uh, and then he did a movie called A Bad Idea Gone Wrong, which I guess sort of uh, gained him a lot of positive attention at like film festivals. And then he ended up at Pixar where he worked on Onward and then co-wrote Lightyear. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I don't, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's going to end up with an interesting Pixar resume, uh, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but he's here too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that. those are the folks that created it. Cool. Cool. Where do we, Oh, actually, you know what? Yeah. You didn't see this in theaters. So no. I'm wondering, I, I feel like you'd be aware of this, but if you aren't, the short before this movie in theaters okay. was a Simpsons short. Oh, which one? Those are really bad. I don't like it them. It was Playdate with Destiny, and they're I remember- all, <laughs> They're all really bad. I remember hearing that that was going to be the case and be like, that's so weird. And so then weird. watching a, a Simpsons short before a Pixar movie and being like, this is the weirdest choice I think Pixar's ever made. It's it, well, and it's not Pixar's yeah. choice, but you know, like it's all I I don't like the Simpsons shorts things are very 
I'm not. A, it's the most Disney thing that Disney has done with them because here's the thing: they are well animated because they have David Silverman animating of course. them, and he's incredibly he's incredible. He's he's in, he's he's was part of like the the best part of the Simpsons in the early days, and like loves to do it. Um, but then they just put him on these like little like just toothless shorts about babies and or about the Simpsons crossing over with whatever Disney property property is popular. And it's not as though the Simpsons haven't sold out before in the past and like shilled Butterfingers and stuff, but like, they're not even funny. They're just like, I guess they're trying to emulate Looney Tunes, but it's like, that's not really what the Simpsons is. And it's weird. And yeah, it's, it's a weird fit for being in front of a Pixar movie, especially because it's, it wasn't a kid's property originally, you know, but it seems like they're kind of, I don't know. It's it's very weird. It's especially weird to me because Pixar shorts often have a reputation of being like a launching pad or an experimental sure. ground for up and coming or even just, you know, needing needing a fresh project Pixar people, you know, yeah. like so it's yeah. weird that like Simpsons, which is one of the most popular animated properties of all time, has like took a spot. Not, not took they a spot, but kind of took no, a spot. No, they kind of did. You know? Yeah, you could put a bit. Why, you, we don't need more. There's plenty of Simpsons stuff content out yeah. there. They don't, and they don't even need to put it in theaters. Put it If you put it on Disney Plus, people are going to watch it or whatever. Put it your Disney Plus D23 or whatever they call it. Expos. <laughs> like, you got plenty of space for that, man. Like, you don't need to put that in theaters in place of, like, a budding filmmaker being able to experiment and then maybe yeah. get a movie out of it. Like that's bullshit. Could, yeah. Could that. we have, could we have gotten out instead? Could we have not like put out directly to yeah. Disney plus and put well, this there instead? Disney could not have that in theaters. So. <laughs> I know. I we know. already met our, we already met our gay quota from this movie and you know, the, <laughs> the, the one, uh, the uh-huh. big pride character that's in this movie. Yeah. Do we go there first or where do we want to go first? At this point, all we've got left is movie, baby. Yeah. Um, no, I don't feel like going there right yet. Okay. Uh, what about the title? <laughs> what, yeah. What the fuck so, is with this title? Okay. Done? Here's the thing that's weird. The title, uh, they kind of admit that they had a hard time naming the movie and probably like presented facetiously, but probably there was a lot of truth to it. Somebody asked, so how late in the process did you give this movie the title onward? And Dan Scanlon basically said, how late is last minute? (laughs) Um, Or late, like last second or whatever he said, like basically implying that it was like one of the last things they did and that they had that hard of a time naming it. I don't get that. Like, I don't really understand because like if nothing else, this movie could have literally just been called Ian and Barley and like that yeah. would be a fine Pixar movie name. Like Yeah, or you could embrace the fantasy Pixar thing. <laughs> you can embrace the fantasy thing, just be like the adventure of the wizard and the right. blah 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 or something like that. Right. Or quest for the father or quest for the Phoenix gem or something like that. Like embrace right. the you know, the fantasy thing that they're already doing. Yeah. Right. It's 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 but but it does make sense like thematically and there's a reference i'm assuming that it comes from barley's van that like i'm okay. assuming that was there i don't first. know that feels like that was retroactive that feels so? like the, i mean i don't know you said they did the title very last minute so maybe that doesn't they claim make sense, to have named it very last minute watching it watching it it really feels like hey huh? we said the title because yeah. it doesn't i don't we said the like, thing <laughs> there's no reason for that like there's no reason for him to have taped an o over the d and said it's not a d it's it's an O for onward. I think like, I guess because it's an old timey ish yeah. word, but I don't feel like that's a thing. I don't know. I don't feel like that's like just such a normal accepted like 
yeah, when you think old timey speak, you think the word onward. Like, I don't know. It all feels really sweaty to me, I think, ultimately. <laughs> I think if they I think if they had had used it literally even once outside the context of the van, it would have made more sense. Maybe, yeah. But it, it really is only only in the van for the yeah. you know so yeah I don't know. and it just feels too shoehorn shoehorned into me it doesn't matter at the end of the day but i'm no. sure that did not help marketing this movie either so. i mean if you if, if you told somebody there was a movie named onward it, you i mean frozen's a better name than onward you know so like or a more descriptive name at least frozen's not a good name um, but yeah yeah I, I think it's it also you know in a different context it might not bother us as much you know if we didn't have a billion terrible you know animated movie names like tangled and frozen and all Brave. that sort of stuff that all had the same sort of like logo shape, which Onward also has. Jesus Christ. You know, maybe maybe we wouldn't be so bothered, but it, it really feels like just part of the sort of Disney bland title marketing yeah. strategy. And if that bums me out when it comes to Pixar, because maybe it wasn't Pixar's decision. Maybe they had a bunch of titles and somebody above them said, no, 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 sure. you know. Uh, but it really does feel like uh, Pixar's better than a, a name like this. <laughs> yeah. It's just, why is this the trend that y'all stuck with? I'm glad that it's, I guess they've broken out of it. Maybe it seems I, like. I, I think so. Like. I think, I think Sony, if no one else is saying, fuck that trend because, mm. uh, you know, they had, they have Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which is not exactly a short title and it's very descriptive. And then they changed connected back to Mitchell's versus the machines, Such which was the original title in the first place. So like yeah. some marketing person did the calculations and said they thought that connected would be a better title. Uh, and then luckily they ditched that, you know, this is also yeah. the studio that did cloudy with a chance of meatballs. So sure. my, my hope is that, my hope is that with the rise of Sony animation studios, other studios will be like, I guess we don't have to have shitty titles. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we're necessarily there yet. We'll have to, we'll have to discuss, I suppose. I think the future yeah. titles are better, even though many of them are one word. Sure. I mean, it's not that one word titles are bad. It's the vague one word yeah. titles that mean nothing or just like a, a descriptor describing nothing. Yeah. Brave. Oh, Guess there's somebody in the movie that's brave. Oh my god! And it used to be called Bear in the Bow, which is such a better name. Better name. Such a better title. Uh, (laughs) uh, I'll never get over that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like the title of this movie as much as I do like this movie. Any movie that requires more, like <laughs> like the studio's name in it to create a hashtag that will be distinct enough, yeah. uh, probably didn't name their movie well. And I do oh, remember this great. one specifically. The official hashtag was Pixar Onward because hashtag Onward would be a shitty hashtag. Yeah, that's such a great <laughs> way to put it. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I see other macro thing is like the concept of this movie. Um, oh, yeah. In, you know, in that Pixar is very imaginative, right? And coming up with imaginary worlds. And it's like, what if, you know, what, what, it, let's see what the world of bugs are like. Let's see what the world of mo- the monsters under your bed are like, what the world of toys are like. Um, and I think it is sort of an interesting pivot for this one that it is, it's not like what is X world that you're like already familiar with to an extent, like, like it's another alternate history thing, I guess, kind of like the good dinosaur, but an alternate history that is based in a genre that we're already familiar with. So the idea of like, what if you're very super prototypical fantasy world things, you're, you're very like Lord of the Rings, you're very D and D just super classic medieval fantasy stuff. What if that like kept going into the modern day and then you sort of combine 
what fantasy tropes would be like in an age with like smartphones and cars and cities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a cool idea. I don't know that it's like the newest idea in the world. Cause like urban fantasy is a thing that exists, but I think the particular brand of like trying to bring in like actual, like literal elves and like trolls and pixies and stuff like that. I think, you know, and making that like, I don't, I feel like humans don't even exist in this world, right? Like it's all fantasy creatures, yeah. which I think is like, I think that's a cool distinction. I can, and you can convince me otherwise, I can sort of, I do, I don't disagree with the argument that like, maybe they don't push it far enough because it all, I feel like feels a little more surface than I would have expected it to be with Pixar. Like, I feel like it is, all the fantasy stuff is so broad and I don't know, I guess I just, it, it's not in a way that's bad. And I think that maybe they focus more on the character stuff in a way that's positive, but I don't know that I really watched this and felt like there are any, any genuinely surprising like little twists that they find with their concept. Like, I don't feel like it's as, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like it's, it's, it, it has like that sort of Pixar spark that you expect from a lot of their movies where it's like, wow, that's such like a really cool connection that they made or a really interesting way that they sort of found a way to tie that together or update that or something in terms of like the world, you know what I mean? Yeah, no. And I think that's really fair. I think it's a a valid criticism, especially given any given person's context or background, because one thing that's really interesting that I kept running into was some folks are saying exactly what you were saying, which is like, we've seen this before. This is urban fantasy. Like, They didn't necessarily do new urban fantasy or a twist on urban fantasy. And then I would also run into other people who would be like, this is kind of a wild concept, right? Like, isn't it kind of weird to think about like elves being in the modern world? That's true. It it really depends on what you're familiar with. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I don't think that necessarily that shouldn't convince you. I actually think that's a, that's a challenge Pixar should have considered, but Mm -hmm. I do have a couple interesting things that I think at least provide some context um, to how this ends up being a movie that doesn't necessarily push urban fantasy. Um, And I think it starts with the fact that it, it, this movie didn't start with the what if urban fantasy question. It -hmm. started with a like really personal question. I think with Pixar movies, sometimes you have the like, what if we explored this world? And then you have the like finding Nemo's where, it's like, what if we explored parental trauma? Like, right, or, you right. know what I mean? Like, this right. was one of the latter, where Dan Scanlon, this this movie is directly inspired by Dan Scanlon's very personal experience. He lost his dad when he was one year old and so never knew him and only had a recording of his father's voice. And, that, and that's literally in this movie, right? So it really was like, it came from this incredibly personal place where he was like, what if you could spend one day with that person you never got to meet but are are connected to, you know? Sure. And and the magical part, the fantasy part, came from trying to figure out how to make that day happen. And so they tossed around plenty of ideas, and the one that, that made sense to them the most was, oh, well, we could do this if the world had magic in it. And we could make it not necessarily be a normal thing if magic was something that kind of fell away over time. And so the world came to be as a, as uh, this sounds really cold, but like as a mechanic to explore the question that he started with, which is what would you do if you could spend a day with somebody that you never got the chance to meet, you know? 
Yeah, at all, I expected that to be yeah. what you were going to say. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's and I think that's a, a positive for the movie. I think that that's why the movie is effective at all is because of how centered the family stuff is. Like, it really doesn't matter that the main characters are elves, you know, yeah. like that. There's there's nothing about elven culture or elven history that plays into any of this. They are just typical suburban people. It's just that they happen to be elves in a world with magic, you know. Everything else is just kind of to add color and humor and fun yeah. to it, but you could very easily translate the script into the real world basically yeah. and just be like there used to be magic and that's it yeah um and i think it still would be a good movie but obviously there's a particular flavor and 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 a little bit more fun that they add that they inject by putting it into this wider world even if they don't really explore it that much well and i think <laughs> so it's also worth noting that scanlan and Corey ray admit to not being like fantasy people like this is not the type of genre that they sure. necessarily feel super connected to which is one of the reasons why it's urban fantasy and not like uh sort of period inspired fantasy mm-hmm. um and so a lot of what they were getting was from people at pixar who were right so i mean they did the pixar thing which is like let's use our resources we we certainly have lots of people at Pixar who are into fantasy, who do play D and D. So like, let's hear from them. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of it came from. And they said that the reason they fell in love specifically with the sort of urban fantasy idea was because it, it started to like spawn these funny scenarios or these clever solutions or these new obstacles. So I think it, it, to me, it sounds like as Dan Scanlon and Corey Ray were learning from their Pixar colleagues about D&D and about classic fantasy, they were seeing for the first time what a lot of us have seen many, many times, which is like, yeah, a gelatinous cube could be used in this way, you know, like, and and it has been many times, you know, so I think that's kind of how it ended up being the type of thing where it's like, the people who are like Dan Scanlon and Corey Ray, who've never played D and D who don't gravitate towards fantasy would probably go to this movie and think a lot of this stuff is really clever and like really new for them. But like you and I are going to go and be like, okay, but like, what if there was a twist? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah, I I can tell you took some inspiration from like first edition D and D from like the eighties. Yeah. Like, okay. And I like that. That's been around forever and it's fun. I actually wish they had like done more with that. Cause one of the things I I like so much is that like Barley's obsession with this game that everyone else considers a game, but he recognizes as actually the world's history. Like actually helps them on their journey. I think that I wish they had gone harder into that. Yeah. Because I think that idea of like, not just, oh, this myth turned out to be true or this fictional book turned out to be true. Like, no, this role-playing game that is like not cool is actually our world's history and you all just don't see it. I think that's actually really cool. That's a very cool concept. And yeah, they don't really, I mean, uh, it is a major part of the story and that that's where Barley's knowledge comes from. But like, I don't think they really hammer in how bizarre that is. Right. That's a thing. I wish they did. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I mean, do like I, that there are a couple characters who acknowledge that Barley's not just like a weirdo. He's like yeah. the history weirdo, right? right like right. at the end of the movie, they were like, oh, the history buff's here again. Like, I think that's a cool thing to note. Like he's weird because he's too into history. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, and you know, and then you, and you get like the, the stuff with like the, you know, the, the Manticore still having like the map to find the secret gem or whatever, but it's just like not a big deal in this world. Right. Like all that stuff is real. And then they literally are able to use a children's, like a children's map with that information because the information is real. All of the, if all the fantasy stuff is real, then all the fun imaginary children shit is also going to be real. <laughs> yeah. Like all of it's real, which is sort of, it's just wild to think about. It's just like, 
obviously in real life, we're not used to that being like, it, it, it wouldn't feel mundane to us, but like it is as mundane as us as a kid on a placemat, just unscrambling the name of our first president or something like yeah. that. Like, yeah. that's just a part of history. Oh, that's such a know? good, that's such a good way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially cause so much of our own history ends up being kind of fictionalized anyway. Right. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, right. yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a great way to, to look at it. Yeah. 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 So kind of like in the, on, on like, with regards to the who is familiar with and who is not familiar with <laughs> like the fantasy yeah. stuff. I think it is notable that both Tom Holland and Chris Pratt brought a familiarity with some specific fantasy stuff. And I think that mm-hmm. helps Tom Holland talked about like being a huge Lord of the Rings fan, a huge Skyrim fan. Uh, Chris Pratt talked about playing riffs and mech warrior uh, as mm. a kid. He also says he specifically was not allowed to play D and D when all of his friends were, which makes sense because he's a Gen Xer. Sure. Uh, and I feel like uh, there were a lot of parents <laughs> saying oh, yeah. he couldn't do that, um, oh, yeah. but he clearly was familiar with it. He also talked about some book about dwarf lore that he had that he used it's to so use to like draw, he says, like thousands of pictures of just dwarves as a kid. So at least, wow. you know, at least they found like uh, folks to surround themselves with and folks who were playing these characters who kind of had a reverence for the genre. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. I I um yeah, I think it's just kind of impossible. It's one of those things where it's impossible to kind of please everybody because it's like you're you want to be broad enough to have room for your main story, but uh, you also want to sort of service people who are going to be coming in as, as big fantasy heads and like wanting to see mm-hmm. cool, fun fantasy references. Uh, but you also can't like go too heavy on that because then it just becomes like impossible to parse. And also, like I said, you want to make sure you're always instead focusing on like the personal journey for them. So like if you're coming in for the fantasy element, like you kind of like you're never you're not really gonna ever be happy with it unless you just kind of accept like for yeah. what it is and it and and you know it the broad strokes of it is all very fun and like anytime there is a any any character that they introduce in the world I like them like I I there, I I can't think of any particular like path they go down that I that I really disliked in terms of like how they use fantasy characters sure. and fantasy tropes you know yeah yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if, um, for me, and I'd be curious about your experience, because you said you watched it once, and then this is the, the only other time you've watched it. I think for me, each time I've watched it, which is only three times, like, I, I like it more each time. And I wonder how much of that is, like, understanding, like, which parts of the world that they're in are actually, like, the, the story we're supposed to be paying attention to. Like, I think mm-hmm. if you think of it as a family story or a story about sure. brothers... Uh, instead of a fantasy, like it just, it feels better. And I think that's my experience. Uh, no, that makes sense. Do you like, do you, do you recall how you, how, like how you uh, felt about it the first time versus this time? Reverse for me. I really, oh, really liked it a lot the first time and I was very emotionally invested. And this time I think because I was watching it a little more analytically, um, and we have had conversations about like sort of the Pixar worlds and stuff, both yeah, good yeah. and, and mo- more good than bad, but both good and bad. Um, I think that was the thing that I was just sort of keyed into like, thinking about and that's when it's just sort of i was just sort of like oh this world is kind of like emptier than i want it to be uh, you know so okay here's the thing i actually think one thing i get why they do it but i it also frustrates me this movie does frequently feel empty because it happens overnight so they're in like mm. they're in this weird situation where it's like okay i get why they do it from like 7 p.m to 7 p.m or whatever the actual time is because then they theoretically get the whole day the next day. 
but like like it ends sort of at yeah. sundown or whatever. Uh, but but then it sort of ends up in this. It, it puts them in this scenario where like the streets are empty and like no one's really around when they're going places. Like they're on this sort of epic quest, yeah. and no one's really around. It has a little bit of a dare I say good dinosaur vibe where it's like why isn't anyone around you know like you have this whole world i want to see it you know it's weird too because i think that because like i can sort of see the yeah yeah i can sort of see the argument where it's just sort of like well you know in a classical medieval setting you know it's not always going to be bustling everywhere they go but i think that it actually would have been a stronger contrast once they do get to like the fields and mountains when they're trying to find raven's point when they are out kind of just walking fields you know, by themselves with no van or anything like that. Like it does feel a lot more like a throwback to classical fantasy stuff because they have like no technology by that point. Um, It would have felt more like a stronger contrast if there was that against them in a bustling city right before then the entire Mm -hmm. time. Like you see the bustling on the freeway, but that's only for like a very tiny stretch. And they run into some pixie bikers at a gas station that otherwise has nobody else around. And other than that, they're just like, yeah, just, you know on yeah. empty streets like, and at an empty rest stop. Right. <laughs> and it like makes sense based on the story they're telling at the time they're telling it. But like the settings are, yeah, a pawn shop at like 3am, yeah. a gas station at 3am, like uh, a rest stop in the middle of the night. Like it's just, it's the just Manticore's like, you're not going to see anybody around. The, the Manticore's place is the only place where there's a lot of other people and characters and you get, and I think that seems very good because you get a good sense of like sort of how this world operates and everything. Um, but that's pretty early into their journey. And then after that, like you just don't really see anybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I remember that bothering me a lot more the first time I saw it than I do this time around, but I didn't forget that that bothered me so much the first time. Well, um, I think like I honestly one thing that bothered me about it is that I realized like I've even though I saw this movie a couple of years ago, I've retained very little except for very pivotal moments and the stuff that I forgot was pretty much the middle section because there's just not uh like it's not that there's not a lot happening. There's good interactions between Ian and Barley, but I don't know, like the whole middle section of the movie, I just like forgot any of it and I think maybe because it is sort of empty and there isn't really a lot of really cool flourishes and an imaginative imaginative things to like stick in your brain you know yeah i get i get what you're saying i mean i have a different experience i feel like this is one of the movies that like was very etched into my brain after seeing it one time sure Um, but i think a lot of it uh, for me is just informed by the relationship between barley and ian so like a lot of it was like i remember the backdrops and i remember the scenarios more because i remember their environment around them as something was happening. But I think again, I mean, I mentioned at the top of this, like I feel very personally connected to this one. So yeah, that it's, it's going to hit me a little different, you know? I think it makes sense. Yeah. It seems like it is a movie that if it hits you, it's really going to hit you. A lot. Oh my <laughs> God. I, I, I did look for my tweets from what I was surprised. I didn't tweet about this movie more, um, but I guess we were kind of time. going something like through something at the time. <laughs> it was a weird time. <laughs> um, but I did, I, I did find a tweet that basically said like, um, I'm sloppy. Like I was like, fuck my tear ducts. I am sloppy right now. And I saw this in a theater. So I was just like weeping in a theater, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just like, there were just a few moments in this movie that really like really punched me in the face. Oh, um, sure. So it's just, oh man. So we haven't really talked about like, specific i guess we've talked about the actors but not necessarily characters or yeah yeah like big story beats or anything so um i mean we've we've begun to talk about barley i think for both of us at least based on what the little bit we've talked about this movie before 
this podcast like barley's both of our standouts i think oh yeah yeah for sure yeah he's great he's a great design he's a great character type he's just and he's very fun and mm-hmm. very lovable he's, he's a great character yeah i like him a lot they also <laughs> i have to call out they animate him very well there's a moment where he like claps above his head and they were like, you know what? We're going to acknowledge the fact that bodies move this way, baby. Oh, yeah. Like, and so his arms jiggle. And I'm like, thank you for showing jiggly arms, Pixar. Oh, for sure. Like, some of us have jiggly arms. <laughs> yeah. No, Barley definitely awakened a lot of things and a lot of people based on a lot of the art yeah. that I've seen on the internet. Uh, yeah. And I am very here for it personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a good, it's a good character to see on screen, you know, mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Oh, I also yeah. love, and this is funny, like so many people uh, I saw talking about this online uh barley has a broken arm or wrist and it's so his cast is so incorporated into his design that like it's noticed that it's so you're one of them you didn't even notice yeah like so barley wears like this punk rock outfit which means he's wearing like he's wearing like uh, on one uh wrist he's wearing like a leather cuff with like studs on it and i think he Mm. has probably like leather boots or something i don't know but like he he's wearing like sort of like rocker metal clothes or whatever. And so mm-hmm. you don't even necessarily notice that he's wearing a black cast on one of his hands. So through the whole movie for no reason that's ever explained, just it happens to inform his character. I guess Barley has like a broken wrist. <laughs> like Wow. <laughs> and he has like a, a D a D 20, like that, like drawn onto his cast. Like that's it's, great. It's such a funny little detail that I, I think Pixar is getting better at like these little details that, that just represent people in different ways. Not that a broken wrist represents people, but it tells a story, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's a detail. Like it's not a, it's not a Chekhov's gun kind of thing. It is just like, yeah, this is, it's just a, a thing that he, yeah. he's, a, I mean, he seems like a character that has probably broken many limbs, limbs many times <laughs> doing yep. many stupid things. It's just like, yeah, that was pretty rad. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think, I mean, I'm trying to think if I have anything to say about Ian specifically as a character, but I, he, I, I don't, I don't know why I'm struggling so much. I think it's just because he is, you know, he's the protagonist and his whole arc is very clear of like wanting to uh, gain confidence and everything like that. Although, you know, actually I will say, I, think, yeah, I, say, I, I, I can actually, more. I could say more. No, I can very <laughs> much relate to, uh, no, I was just, I can, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell where to start with, with characters like that, you know? But I do very much relate to uh, all of his like driving anxieties. (laughs) One of my my favorite moments in the movie, because it's funny and because it's sincere, is when Barley is like, you're never ready. No, just merge. (laughs) Like, like, that's so relatable and so sweet. (laughs) God, it's so real, though. It's just like the the anxiety of like seeing all of those buff, all the cars just like flying down the freeway. Yeah, it's like you have to get in. You have a limited amount of time. It's like, I uh, I don't know what to do. Still happens to me to this day. So I get that. Fully get that. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I, I like that. Like, he's not it's not that he's like a bullied kid or it's not like he's like a super nerd. It is literally that he is just not confident and he just doesn't he's not particularly assertive or anything like that's that's really the prime thing uh you know in 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 his like relationships with you know at school and everything which i kind of appreciate because i think you know there's a certain amount of baggage obviously when you try to do like a nerd archetype or a bullying situation but like it's very clear that like the kids that he surrounds himself with would like him just fine <laughs> if he like talked to them. It is very much like his own hangups that's kind of preventing him from putting himself out there. Yeah, I think I, I think that one of the things I appreciate about Ian 
is that I don't know that they were necessarily setting out to create a character that represented anxiety, but I think you're starting to get to some of it where like Ian would be fine. Like Ian could have friends. No one's really giving Ian a hard time. The one other student he sort of brushes up against is like the one who puts his feet on Ian's desk, which is like, not really bullying him. It's inconsiderate. Yeah, <laughs> but he's not being mean about he's it. Not he's not even like, being God a, right. reasons. Like, if, you know, I, I think that he's he being an idiot, but be friends probably if, <laughs> right. you know, in a different situation. Right. And I think the thing that I appreciate about Ian is like, he isn't confident and he's like scared of uh, like pretty normal scenarios, but he also knows that and is like frustrated by his own fear. Yeah. Like he's frust. I think he's frustrated and we see this early on, right? It sort of like kicks off some of the events that he's like frustrated as at, at what he sees as his own inability to just like put himself out there. And especially when he, when he hears that like his own dad was like described as bold, he gets even more frustrated by it where he's like, well, why can't I be bold? Like this is something I should be able to do. And I think just the fact that he knows that and is, is sort of like, acknowledging to himself in front of all of us, the audience that makes him more relatable than just like a typical sort of like not confident person who needs somebody else to like show them they're confident, you know? Yeah. That's a really good point. And I think that that is a thing that's like really common with people who have varying levels of anxiety, honestly, where it's just like, Oh, I know that I have this. I know that this is a ridiculous thing to be anxious over. And this is something that I actively wish I could like actually confront and be better about. It's just incredibly hard to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And he tries. That's the thing that I like about him is like, he's constantly trying and it's not like, again, there's no bully in the way. Like, it's not like Barley's holding him. Barley's like supportive as fuck. You know, his mom is like supportive as fuck. So it's, I think it's, it's interesting that like his whole thing is like very internal and he's just wrestling with something inside himself. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting stuff for sure as the only other thing i want to say about him i was really more talking about the ending so i'd rather hold that till later okay yeah uh other other characters i feel like the best transition to talk about all the queer stuff that we've been alluding to i feel like is like when you start getting to pretty much every like female character in this movie they're all gay <laughs> right they're all right? gay and we know it right look it's it's i okay I'm going to start this off by saying I fucking hate Colt. I hated Colt the moment (laughs) he ended up on screen. I hated him by the end of the movie. I hated him the second time I watched it. I hate him now. And I just wish that the movie, and I, and I hate him for, for very specific biases. I don't like cops and I don't like horses and he's both. Um, well, he also literally doesn't need to be in this movie and he doesn't need to be him being him being Laurel's, uh, boyfriend does nothing for anything other than give her someone to communicate with on her mission. But then she, once she gets the manicure, like there's no one she needs to talk to, you know, like there's no, there's, there's plenty of other ways they could have gotten all that information around without him having to be her boyfriend. If they needed to have a cop character as a major character at all. Yeah. You know? I, I think, I think there are some things about him that do that benefit from him having a connection to the boys but it doesn't need to be her boyfriend. I think it would work fine if he were like their uncle who like sure. they lost their dad early on and now their uncle is a huge part of their lives. Like I as love their that. sort of father figure, right? I think it's totally fine. Yeah. But I can't stand him. He's so annoying to me. And then 
on top of that, the fact that he's there and it seemingly needs to be there from beginning to end for all eternity means Mm -hmm. that Laurel cannot just be with her one true love, who is Corey. We all see it. We all know it. Mom and the Manticore forever. And it's just like two women unlocking each other's potential Mm -hmm. and like being fucking badass and realizing they're better together and they should just be in love and they should have kissed and Colt should have been thrown to the like to the to the to the side and it would have been a, so much better. I shipped them. I remember walking out of that movie and being like, everyone ships them, right? They like, have such good chemistry together. Exactly. <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Octavia Spencer like fucking kill it. Yeah. And I mean, they are, they have more screen time together than, you know, uh, 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 Colt and Laurel do. So yeah, I, I fully <sighs> agree. I left the movie even more this time uh, feeling like that, especially knowing, you know, the context for all the, all the, all the Pixar gay stuff, <laughs> like all of that. It's just like, it almost feels like it's in the text and was taken out. And I don't know if that was the case. But I, it, I haven't it found anything feels, to support it yet. And if there but, were, it would have only just recently come out, you know? Yeah. Like, it, but that is one of the strongest cases I feel like where it's just like, it just seems like so obvious, right? Like Colt almost seems like shoehorned into the situation in a no homo kind of way. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I, I don't even buy, I don't even buy the two of them as a couple, I, I, Colt and, and Laurel together as right. a couple. I don't like, they don't, they don't seem to work very well. It doesn't seem like a man that she would be interested in. First of all, like he seems like oblivious to her. They seem like they have a completely like utterly like sex sexless lack of chemistry and, and couldn't that have been part of the movie couldn't it have couldn't that have been part of of how she ends up realizing that like Corey's better for her anyway they don't need to even like explicitly go through all that it could have been very implied but like yeah. still explicit at the same like the like i don't know it's just it's wild especially because yeah. he's he ends up being the cop who is like chasing after the boys and right. like, like sticking a bunch of other cops on them. He's in an antagonist position. And I wish that they honestly would have like embraced that a little bit yeah. more. Like he didn't like, need to be a full villain, but I, I would have liked for it to be the reason that she ends up being like, you know what, Colt, I never loved you. <laughs> yeah. I think it, I think it would have added to them. You know, I, 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 I always I, I appreciate the attempt to sort of like just make every character, you know, sympathetic in some way or whatever. Like not to, that if you you don't have to have a villain necessarily if it, if the movie works without it. But I do think the movie would have been better and more compelling if you had Colt as a more villainous character. But you're not a straight up villain, but like embrace the antagonist of it all, not have it just be yeah. this kid's like wannabe surrogate dad chasing after them, you know? Yeah. And maybe this would have been too leaning too heavily into a trope we see all the time, but like if they already don't like him and they don't, and then he tries to to help them and they, you know, say like fuck you, Colt. And he gets pissed about it. Like there's a really natural progression there yeah. where it's like, she chooses her kids over her new husband. Like, I know we've seen it a million times, but it also would have worked really well in this particular movie. I think. Yeah. I will say shout out to Mel Rodriguez who voices Colts. I like him a lot as an actor. He's one of those actors who like just pops up and shit all over the place. Like watch random TV shows and he's just going to be there <laughs> in a role. And I've seen him in some like more major roles too. And I think he's, he's always very good. I think the character for the character that he's playing, he plays it as well as you can, you know, he has a really fun voice. Like, yeah. I don't know if that's his natural voice or if it's a voice he's doing for, the, for Colt, but it's a fun, mm-hmm. he, it's a fun performance. 
Yeah. I just have an irrational hatred for this character. He might be my least favorite Pixar character. I fucking hate him. It makes sense. It seems. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I don't. Yeah. I I just I don't want to uh, I don't want to uh, undersell him as an actor because he's not a problem. I think that he's well cast. And like I said, I like him. I feel like I feel like he's someone that I also like as a person. Like, I feel like I've read interviews with him or something like that. And I like him. But I don't totally remember so don't like fully quote me on that in, in case he's like secretly piece of shit or something i don't but know anything given, about him so. given the stuff he has worked in i feel like he's he's a he's a good guy based on every everything that i can think of and which makes it more, me more bummed out that like he's in this like bullshit role in this movie like i mean he, he deserves better than that <laughs> here's the thing this movie has a lot of cops in it it does and it, they and, and all of them are played by like <laughs> Somewhat cool people. I know it's very there's weird. a conversation the around Lena Wave, but like still. Al- Ali Wong too, like it almost feels insulting in my opinion. Right? Like, well, I, you kind of touched like on it. this. Like the the main, this is very much one of those movies. We talk about this on our Spider-Man podcast a lot. This is very much one of those movies where, where it's like, we got our main cast and oops, they're all white. So everyone else, we should probably cast a person of color and that makes it better, right? It's like, well, not if they're all fucking cops. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh but Doug, first first openly Stop. gay character in a Pixar movie or in Stop. a Disney movie or in any movie in general. In fact, I would say this movie invented the concept of gay people. Period. I think you're right. Wow. Onward invented gay. That's pretty that's pretty intense, man. <laughs> Never see it just waving my pride flags as I was watching it, blowing <laughs> my my pride trumpets as as the cop was like, I've got a girlfriend. And no one was mad about it. It was just amazing. It was the fastest delivery of a line I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and it was erased from so many countries versions of the movie. Oh, but it's such a pivotal part of the movie. How could you how could you erase that? I don't understand. The movie does just wouldn't even function without that pivotal line from a pivotal character in a pivotal scene. <laughs> Can I read you uh, a tweet of mine that was uh, documenting a conversation we had on one of our uh, Patreon episodes over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash following web snappers. Okay. Uh, we, were, we were doing an After Dark commentary on the Buzz Lightyear cartoon, and somehow we got onto the topic of gay characters, probably because of Zerg or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Zerg. That's, had like, to have that been character Zerg. is so fucking gay in that show. Right, exactly. Um, and this is the exchange. Except Elsa, who they won't let be queer. We all know. We heard Let It Go. We all sang it in our cars, bitch. Have you heard about the new one in Onward? Yeah. Fuck you, Pixar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that. And this was this was, uh, this was was in April of that same year. So this was like a month after this movie came out. You and I had that conversation. Oh, so boy. Even, even at the time, all of us were like, this isn't it. This isn't it, Disney. And, I, and I'm saying Disney now because we have a better context. I do feel like there probably would have been more gay in this movie. Hopefully it would have been the mom or the manticore. Uh, but uh, but yeah. no, they put one queer woman uh, in a cop <sighs> uniform with one eye. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's I, weird. Ugly design, too. Is that mean of me to say? I don't like well, the design of it. Is that I think, that might just be my my bias of just hatred of everything about no, this? But I think I think well, I, what I was going to say is I think a lot of the designs in this movie are ugly and kind of on purpose. Mm, so true. like I think a lot of I, I think the only designs that aren't really meant to sort of be ugly on purpose are the elves for the most part. And then like the unique characters like the Manticore, sure. because like there are trolls in this universe. There are. 
seemingly like uh, some sort of like gremlin-y type creatures. There's like fawns. And a lot of them are sort of background or crowd characters. And I do think yeah. a lot of them are made to be ugly. Yeah. They they look like uh, exaggerated, like old fantasy art from yeah. like, the cover of like cheap fantasy books that, that, you know, you'd find used copies of in an old bookstore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like that vibe, which right. I appreciate, you know, I, I think that's a, it makes sense. But um, look, if look, we've been we've been asking for queerness for so long that we damn well better get the most fabulous fucking hot queer people uh, ever. Christ. Okay, Absolutely. okay. <laughs> God, we had to fucking deal with Lena Waithe as a fucking Cyclops cop. I think we've been we've we've walked through the fire enough. We deserve yeah. something better. Now. Yeah. Look, there are some notable things here, right? Like we ship. Corey and Laurel, I think, unequivocally on this podcast. Yeah. Get in or get out, everybody. Also, Barley's fair game. Like Barley is is a character Ooh. who is given no uh sexual or affectionate or romantic identity whatsoever in the context of this movie. So Yeah. You know? It's true. Blank he slate. Gives me, he gives me serious like pan energy. Or I feel like he's like either pan or like ace like i, I think feel it's, like it's like one or the other yep i think it's all or nothing for him i think i yeah. think he's either very like just he's he's he he loves love uh and doesn't care what form it comes in or he's or he's just yeah I th- or he's totally ace and just like yeah. would prefer a cake you know right <laughs> which hey you know i get it i get I it get barley it. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah so i don't know this movie i think this movie is exactly the type of movie that should have been queer as fuck yeah. Um, and it just, unfort- I mean, honestly, it just was made by the wrong studio at the wrong time, I guess, to be I the, so the queer as hell movie that it should have it, been. It, it is a case where it actively hurts the movie, though. I, think. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I think uh, a movie does not necessarily have to have queerness to be like a good movie. But I think this one, it, it it's a fantasy setting. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it just would be more fun if you could let characters be more fantastical. And in this case, that would be queer. It would be more fun and it also would make more sense for character arcs too. So yeah. yeah Characters yeah. wouldn't feel like reined in. <laughs> uh-huh. so. Yep. Yep. Well, gay stuff aside. Yeah. I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus in this. I think so she's great. good. I mean, she's good in everything. So not a surprise, but it in particular, I think uh, I, I just, I like, I, I like the use of, the mom character in this oh my in a way that you've never been seen. begging for a mother yeah. who's allowed to do things. Right. And, and she who isn't immediately just like, is like, my yeah. boys are in trouble. I'm going to do everything. Right. Right. I, what I love is that like the setup is your super basic, like, you know, kids on bikes kind of story where it's just like the kids run off on the crazy adventure and mom's left behind out of, out of the loop to worry about them to be reunited at the end. And instead she's like, fuck this. (laughs) Like, no, I'm having my own fucking adventure, man. It's great. I am a warrior. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. And what's, it's funny too. Um, It's funny that this is a world with smartphones Mm -hmm. and they very early. They're like, Ian, we're going to, break his phone completely to sever the connection. Barley, I guess just doesn't have one. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But like, even, even with that, even with that very clear, like severing of the connection to make this even more of an old school fan closer to an old school fantasy where they can't just reach out and, you know, Google whatever they need or call mom or whatever. Even with that, like, 
she's still able to like catch up with them pretty yeah. easily, very quickly. Yeah. Like she's on their trail immediately. And like, and, and, and it's, and it's like a subplot that doesn't feel overcrowded or anything. Like it fits perfectly, I think into the pacing of the movie, like cutting, always cutting back to her. And then it just makes you think like, why aren't more movies like this? Why couldn't more Pixar movies have moms yeah. that did literally anything other than like get turned into a bear that can't talk? Like, I mean, can you imagine <laughs> if the, I, I think there are a lot of, I honestly, I think this movie and good dinosaur are very similar in a lot of ways i think this movie does a lot of what the good dinosaur thought it was doing just way better and can you imagine if the good dinosaur had a mom who like went off to try to find arlo like that would have immediately improved that movie immediately mcdormand could have done it (laughs) right exactly (sighs) yeah good shit man (laughs) yeah but i do love her i think she's fantastic i think one thing i think this movie does really really well i'll be curious to, to know if you agree i think this movie sets up very satisfying payoff moments and mm-hmm. so i feel like her her moment of of being i am a warrior is like really satisfying i think it's good yeah <laughs> i think they set that up like in the first scene of the movie and then it it pays off in almost the last scene of the movie like it's really yeah. nice <laughs> no it's good it doesn't feel like you know it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like shoehorned in in the way like the O for onward thing kind of does either. Cause it, it, I think her character is like kind of an, seems like kind of a nerd, even if she doesn't, she doesn't like show nerdy tendencies, but like just the fact that like, she's totally open to everybody and everything and clearly is like very confident in who she is. Like, I think like it makes sense that that's yeah. the thing that she would say completely unironically and with like complete sincerity, you well, know? And I think there's sort of a, I think there's something to be said about the fact that her husband died when Ian was like one year old or something. So she's been a single mom raising these two sure. diametrically opposed boys in, in, in difficult ways uh, of their own each, you know? Yeah. Um, and they probably certainly take her for granted as far as like the strength it takes to do what she did in just raising them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like she represents that sort of mom character where like, as, as you grow up, you start to realize or you have an aha moment where you're like, oh, my God, my mom's actually like kind of fucking badass, huh? And, yeah. it norm- you know, usually it doesn't involve like a sword and a dragon, but <laughs> that's I think that's what she represents. And I think she does so very, very well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a nice parallel to Ian like, mm-hmm. coming into his own confidence. Like she doesn't have have it to the exact same extent and the exact same problems, but it's like everybody in this movie has to accept themselves in some way, right? Yeah. Or like learn to love themselves as, uh, you know, as it goes along. Yeah. So. The little bit that we know about Wilden Lightfoot, her husband and, and the, the quite a bit that we know about her, at least inside the, the confines of the movie really does feel like Barley and Ian are their children. Like, yeah. I feel like both parents have a little bit of each one of them. And then each one of them was just like a distilled down version of that sort of like, binary and that was housed between the two of them yeah because like you said like she's gaining her confidence perhaps back or maybe for the first i don't know we don't really know like her her backstory um but she's gaining her confidence like as a warrior over the course of the movie but she also clearly has a confidence about her like barley does you know yeah for real for real She's so um, fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, she's very cool. She's very cool. I love that. Like, she does the most. Like, hmm. I'm trying to think. In the final battle, yeah. Obviously, Ian is the wizard. She's like, like paladin or like barbarian or something like that. Like, she's like a direct like fighter, which is so fucking cool. I'm not really exactly sure what what barley is necessarily in that position. Is barley um, the bard? I guess barley is the. Nah, that, that makes sense. 
Yeah, and he loves music and stuff too. I know. I think that's right. I think Barley's the bard. Ian's like the mage or sorcerer or wizard or whatever. Um, and the mo- mom is is some kind of fighter class. She's a barbarian or a paladin. I love that. Paladin. Yeah, which is so cool. Like, I love that their mom gets to be like the one on one like me- melee fighter. It's great. That's so cool. It's great. <laughs> and she fucking rides her girlfriend into battle. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Speaking of, because she's 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 a great character too. I, we've already kind of talked about her, but yeah. I, I one of the notes that I had written down when I was watching the movie is just Manticore ruined by capitalism. <laughs> I love that. Like that's yes. the concept is that it's just like this wonderful, amazing. I guess like eternal warrior because like how old i think it's the only way it works honestly yeah like she's just she must be incredibly either immortal or just like incredibly slow aging they don't mention it at all which is fine because they would have probably made some dumbass annoying age jokes that would have been stupid so i'm glad they don't they don't really acknowledge that but like this ancient warrior that like basically has just been like worn down by living in a capitalist society and like to the point where like it it literally kind of like not not literally in this movie it literally could have soul, sucked out her soul. I was almost <laughs> gonna say that, but it, it doesn't in this context literally suck out her soul. But like her her spark, you know, it kind mm-hmm. of has to the point where it's just like in service of investors and and you know keeping the keeping the clients happy and stuff like that. Um, like I love that. I, I think that 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 I think is the most inspired fantasy to suburban update concept that they have i think that that is an incredibly inspired concept of translating your very old school like quest giver yeah slash powerful warrior into like kind of a present day world in that way in a way that's like it's almost like really it's it's almost like kind of like demeaning to the manticore not to say that like running your own restaurant is demeaning because that's a fucking badass thing to do but it clearly isn't like the kind of thing that like she wants to do in that way or at least not one that doesn't like, feel like it's her like, authentic purpose yeah. as she's communicating it to us right exactly especially not like you know like a dave and busters kind of place <laughs> like you know because she does she is still running a tavern at the end of it so yeah. clearly she loves being a small business owner which fucking rocks yeah but Whatever whatever she's doing seems like more of a franchise corporate chain run thing, given that she cites investors and stuff like that. Um, I imagine. At least that that's the vibes that I get. And it's it's just the idea that of how that capitalism can like ruin even like ancient <laughs> ancient warriors yeah. uh is is pretty wild yeah i think, I think very very clever i think you're right and i think they knew that too because i think one of the themes of the movie is like we have forgotten who we are as a people yeah and we need to sort of rediscover that it doesn't mean that what we're doing is wrong it doesn't mean technology is bad it doesn't mean owning a restaurant is you know not a thing that i can enjoy it just means like we've we've set aside an entire part of ourselves in in lieu of this other thing when they could coexist. And I think we see that in a couple instances. We see it with our main characters, but they they have bigger stories going on. We mm-hmm. see it on a smaller scale and I think a less effective scale with like the Pixies or with yeah. Colt where I where he like lets his hair down and like runs in the wind or whatever. Um like we see I, that I, okay, sorry, not to harp on Colt even more. 
if that really was supposed to be an effective moment, then he would have done that earlier in the climax and like helped out. By, no, like, he I would have had to, to chase effective. after them. I think it's supposed to be funny, and I hate it. <laughs> it's not fun. How I thought it was supposed to. Be, I didn't really. It's funny. I thought it was supposed to be like another inspiring thing of how they've changed the world for the better. Except like it. I think it would have been more more narratively satisfying, whether you like Colt or not. I think objectively, in terms of like a, a narrative, it would have been more na- narratively satisfying if, as the boys are sort of bringing badge- magic back into the world just by like you know just by their interactions and stuff if in the climax of the movie he is forced to like run and then he realizes oh i can run 70 miles per hour yes, and his hat flies off and his, and his hat flies off and his hair like is like flowing yeah. in the wind he's like oh wow this is amazing but instead he's just like gone and then shows up at the end for some fucking reason yep. uh, to be like i run now and it's like why like why yeah. where did you why did you decide to do that just now yep uh it's how do they fuck up everything with that character he just I mean everything except the casting, right? Except we, the we casting. Can, we have to stress yeah. as much as we hate Colt, we appreciate the actor. <laughs> I want he just they cast him in another Pixar movie in a better role. Get him yeah. a, ma- a major get yeah. like a main role. I, and they kill it. They could. I mean, Julia Louis Dreyfus has been in Pixar movies. She was Princess Ada, right? So mm-hmm. and uh and what God, Bill Hader is about to be in like another one or something. I don't know. He's been in a bunch at this oh, point. Wow. It's like giving uh giving some of the mainstays a run for their money. <laughs> actually you know what we've talked about how like how do some of these actors end up in these movies to do like so little and yeah. i do think we have a little bit of insight here from julia louis dreyfus and tom holland as people in hollywood people okay. who could pick their gigs essentially you know mm-hmm. like i think they're both famous enough uh tom holland is like at the point in his career we could probably have any role you know and julia yeah. louis dreyfus i think has been around enough that she probably has the ability to be like no thanks something else yeah. will come along both of them gave quotes about this where julia louis dreyfus was like it's pixar how can i say no i mean they <laughs> called and they said we've got this project and i'm like great where do i sign i didn't even need to know what the script was about or anything okay (laughs) and then tom holland said something very similar he said obviously it doesn't need that much convincing for someone to say yes to a pixar movie uh but it was even easier when i heard about how passionate dan was about telling the story so like just the fact that he starts that off with being like no one needs to be convinced to do a pixar movie sure like if they ask you you say yes so i do think there is some truth to that that speculation we've had about pixar being sort of in the same realm as like if someone asked you to be in a star wars movie you probably say yes you know yeah yeah it's not going to be like and it's like even at, at the worst it's not going to be a career ruiner so why not no it? like no. ever right know? exactly and being in one doesn't preclude you from being in another right. especially because they're all animated yeah uh, and pixar tends to like its people you know like if they exactly. really like you you'll be back makes sense makes sense yeah, that's just reminding because you were talking about just like random people showing up. Um, a couple of the random names in this movie. Uh, Tracy Ullman is the goblin pawn shop over, which is really weird. Yeah. She doesn't what really a do wild that much. character. <laughs> yeah. Wild swing. Also funny that this was that it was a, a Simpsons short in front of it. And then Tracy Ullman, the Simpsons were uh, first created on the Tracy Ullman show. Oh, wow. Enough. That has to be a full coincidence. Right? Well, no, actually, a lot of these people were cast like very, very late. Like some of these folks were cast uh, like in December the year before, like December 2019, probably because they would only need to come in for like a day to do their lines. Like Ali Wong and um, Lena Waithe were cast like oh, wow. months before release. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it could have been, although I don't think she likes the Simpsons. Like she's like, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, for not terrible reason, she's like sued them, uh, sued the uh, Fox a lot because I don't think she 
got a big cut of the profits when it became a show. Like, I don't oh. think that she, even though like they debuted on her show, which the argument being like, well, she didn't create it. It was just like an installment of her sketch comedy right. show that the writers who created it made. So yeah. you don't really have any ownership over it, but yes. Yeah. So, uh, but either way, I don't think that's a thing that's ever been patched up. So like, I don't know if that was intentional actually, but it is a yeah. funny coincidence that a Simpsons short in front of a Pixar movie featured Tracy Ullman. <laughs> Interesting context. Yeah, I uh-huh. never would have never would have thought of that. Also, yeah. Gray Griffin is in this. Yeah, yeah, we love Gray Griffin. We do, yeah. we do. She's the pixie. Yeah, you. Yeah, pixies. They're fine. <laughs> I lo- they're fine. Okay, I like. Th- <laughs> I agree with you that they're fine, but also I kind of love them. Sure, I think I like they're the really fun. Yeah, I think the concept is really fun. And I don't I think- like that they're just like. I wish that they got a little more of a redemption though. Like they all, they're just like mean the entire yes. time. And yeah. I don't like that. I, I like, I think that they would shine in like a short. Like I think if the sure. Pixies got their own short, it would be so good. Um, but yeah, they're just sort of like, uh, they're just sort of this weird antagonistic swarm. Um, mm. But I think they're a funny weird antagonistic swarm. So sure. the I think idea that's why of like- I like them. And I think they're one of the most like Pixar, what if this world existed type of. Sure characters you know as a collective i think the the genius of it is that oh pixar i mean pixar pixar pixie huh uh pixies uh as a biker gang funny concept because obviously pixies are like typically like very cute and tiny uh but what if they were like you know a rowdy bunch who was like starting trouble mm-hmm. but i think the truth that i feel like that's i wouldn't say that's super obvious but i think it's like you can make that connection because they're so opposite sure. right yeah, yeah, yeah. i think the true genius of it is the fact that they're not riding little little tiny right. pixie baby bikes <laughs> right. they're riding riding regular like human size bikes they're... they just like all collectively swarm on the bike and in conjunction yeah. like all like drive it in conjunction like working together which is fucking bananas they're like, seemingly the only like intelligent race in this world that the world has not created any sort of like space or accommodation for you yeah. know what i mean like or they ref- or because or they refuse to bad like that even they better refuse to engage oh with God. it yeah Derek. like we don't need your fucking <laughs> your special pixie shit we operate on our own terms we do what we want see i think they're so fun but i do agree with you like they could have been they could have been done ju- like more justice but yeah i do think i do think the the idea of them is is hilarious yeah yeah it's fun just because we're calling everybody out, Wil- Wilmer uh, Valderrama yeah. is uh, the random college friend. Yeah. Um, which I didn't even know he still worked. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah. I don't know if the last time I've seen him in anything after that 70s show, he's, to be honest. He's done a, <laughs> I couldn't name any of them, but I know he's done plenty of stuff. Because uh, okay, I, yeah. I see his name pop up a bunch and have that exact same thought. Good for him. I'm looking at his uh, filmography. He has, yeah, he's actually been pretty consistently working. Okay. Yeah. Wait, he was in... Encanto? I, I I don't know who, Augustine? but I'm not surprised. The cast August, is pretty huge. August Augustine. Which one was that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There was a lot of people in that movie. There's a lot of family. The family is enormous. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Never mind. I take and it I all don't back. Know He's that actually song, so he has actually been in a ton of shit. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. All right. Cool. I take it. But back. I mean, I I mean that speaks to like uh, you know it speaks to that idea of of like a character can kind of follow you around for your whole career for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, he um, plays, uh, he plays, uh, Wilden Lightfoot's hot friend that Wilden Lightfoot almost certainly experimented with or explicitly was in a relationship with in college. Absolutely. His quote unquote friend from college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wilden was so bold. 
<laughs> the, that's the word he describes uh, describes him with. And he always wore those purple socks. I don't know what that was oh, about. Boy, God, this movie like is like almost so fucking gay. Like it is so I close know. to just being the gayest shit in the world. I know. Uh, it's like probably the gayest Pixar movie to this point without actually being gay. Really depressing. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of dad. Yes. Okay. How do you, how, I wonder, I just like, is there any context for how they got to the idea of dad just being legs through the entire movie? Cause that's a fucking wild swing. Like, um, I don't understand how you come up with something like that. Yes. Um, I don't know if this will be satisfying to you in how it was conceived, but I do sure. think it ends up being satisfying by the end. It started as a joke. And then the more they thought about it, the more they realized it actually kind of fit really well with the idea of these two boys who don't one who never met their dad and the other who has like a very limited memory of their dad. Um, And so the idea that they get to spend time with their dad, but it's such a sort of like, like uh, almost like wispy memory of their dad. Sure. Um, And they're able to do, they're able to really stress like the little things that you might remember about somebody uh, by focusing on the lower half because it's the half you wouldn't normally focus on. Uh, so the fact that he has purple socks and that ends up being the thing that Ian recognizes when he's doing the spell, the mm-hmm. fact that, that Barley had this sort of like foot drumming thing, the fact that he danced funny. So they, they kind of, I think the reason they really stuck with it is because it's stressed the little things you might hold on to, to try to remember somebody like Hmm. the little, the very little bit that you can kind of grasp onto, I think is what him being just the bottom half represents, but it is fucking wild. And it did start as a joke. You know, that makes sense though. Cause I mean, there's plenty of jokes you can make from that, um, that, uh, don't need to make right now, but like it's, (laughs) it's such a, yeah, it, that is so wild. And I think they do a lot of great physical comedy with that concept. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the fact that he's like on a leash through the most of the movie, like because it's just a pair of legs that like can't see here, see or hear yeah. anything. Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. And like, I, I honestly, I was laughing all over again, like genuinely, at all the ways that he like was antagonizing the pixies on accident. Oh, it's so like, good. I thought it was really clever. Like Pixar, it's I don't think good. is necessarily. Uh, known for doing like really sharp physical comedy, mm-hmm. but I feel like this is really this is a good example of it. I mean, they have before. It's not like they never do, but I think if I'm making you know a list of of where they really nail it, I do think Wilden Lightfoot's fake upper half really makes the list for me. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. Yeah, all the all like the the accidental fist shaking and the one like <laughs> just like look he gives to the pixies in the gas oh station. Oh my god, the look he gives to the pixies in the gas station kills me. It's so good. It's so funny. And it's like how did you how did you manage to put so much emotion into just like a bag and a sweatshirt and sunglasses? Yep. Like it's just it's so well done. It's impressive. It's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and just like, uh, there's a lot of this, like little things I think they do little, little, uh, little details with like the way that the legs sit, like mm-hmm. they're like, he still crosses his legs, even though he is just legs. Like when he's like sitting in the front seat, like his legs are on the dashboard. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's funny. Cause they're like perfectly normal things, but the, because it is just a pair of legs with nothing else, like seeing it do normal leg stuff. It's just like, 
I don't know. I think the mundanity of it <laughs> to something so utterly weird and fantastical, just yeah. like, it works really well. I think that the relationship between the fantasy and the mundane is something that really inspired them. I just wish a lot of it had come through yeah. as strong as the pants do, right? Like, yeah, for it's, sure. Like it's so mundane. Like he's literally just walking around. Like, and what's funny is like there is no panic in this seemingly sentient, conscious pair of pants like he's not bothered ever by the fact that he's just pants like there's something really funny to me about that yeah yeah it's just sort of like what what's your thought process right now like Mm -hmm. wherever your wherever your mind is in the in the spirit world or whatever like I it would it would be funny to just hear his side of the story, <laughs> like yep. what like his internal monologue happening throughout all of this. Yeah, and, and it is wild how quickly he acclimates to the situation. I do think it's very very clever, uh, and and maybe not clever is maybe not the right word because I think it's kind of the only way that this works as well as it does. So I don't know if that counts as clever, but like I do think it's it's correct that we don't ever get his side of the story in this oh movie. yeah no and then I we think never good, hear him yeah. when we do finally see him it's at such a distance um that it's, it would be impossible to know anything he's saying we don't even see his face like i actually yeah. think all that is very correct yeah no i agree i guess i mean we're we're talking about that anyway like the i think like the 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 sort of big finale of the movie i mean we can talk about the dragon stuff i guess if we have more to talk about with that but like the actual like you know, reunion between dad and Barley. I think all of that is just so elegantly handled. I think that of anything is what stuck with you the most from the movie originally. And like what really blew me away um, in that, like it is just such a, it's, it's such a clever, smart and like perfect idea to have your main protagonist to have like Ian, who were primarily seeing the movie through the eyes of Mm -hmm. the entire time. Like, recognize like i don't need to be here for this like this this isn't this isn't a thing that i need yeah the thing thing we've been questing for actually wasn't a thing i needed yeah yeah and so to sort of have that handoff and the fact that we the audience because we're seeing the movie through ian's eyes primarily we're still sticking with him so we are literally seeing it as he struggles to see from very far away this the the beautiful reunion moment that like the movie is leading up to like we see it through his eyes just like barely and in pieces through like a hole in a wall that he's trapped in. Like, it's just, um, I think it's really beautiful. And like that sort of like anti-climax for us, that is, uh, but in a way that, that works because it is a, it is a private moment for like another character Mm -hmm. because it is just like, this isn't, this isn't our story. This is his story. This isn't Ian's story. This isn't the audience's story. This is for a moment for Barley and his dad to have for, for, on their own. And like, we don't need to be there for that. And I think that that's, there's something really poignant about that. Yeah. I think this, I think the, the end of this movie and, and the, what we're describing as far as like Ian's realization and the perspective we're getting and not necessarily having the protagonist be present for that, the, the actual payoff of their journey. Right. Like, I think that is exactly what screams Pixar about onward when maybe a lot of other pieces don't scream Pixar, right? Like I think that sort of very real, uh, very sort of like honest, I think Mm -hmm. um, 
bit of storytelling and character development, the kind of thing you wouldn't necessarily expect to feel satisfying from a movie because it's not what you came here for. It's not what you expected. It's not the payoff you thought was going to happen. Um, it's not a conventional payoff at all. Uh, ends up feeling really satisfying because they did such a good job, I think, building up to the point where it's like, yeah, actually, I do get I do get it. I get it. I get everything that they're doing. And I, I feel the peace that they're feeling, right? Like he wants yeah. to see his dad through that little hole. And if, if he had his way, he would be able to get out of there and, and go visit his dad himself. But like he finds a peace just being able to watch his brother, like get the reunion that his brother needs. Like there's just something really honest about it. Yeah. Um, and I just love it. It gets me every time. This movie really yeah. does fuck me up. Between like Ian and Barley just sort of like, I guess reconnecting because we see that they clearly did have like a relationship when they were children, but seemingly mm-hmm. don't have much of one anymore. Like right. seeing them go on this journey and seeing Barley try so hard to like reconnect with Ian, which I think again is like a really honest sort of interaction. This this idea where like this older sibling, especially when it comes to, I mean, I know this isn't exclusive too, but in this story, like it, it very much, I think is part of the story that like they their dad died a long time ago. And so Barley is the older male figure for Ian. And I think takes that role really seriously, but Ian seemingly doesn't want or need that in the way that Barley wishes he would. Um, Seeing this whole journey where Barley's like supporting Ian and trying to like reconnect with him. Like it just makes everything so satisfying when they have those moments. Like I mentioned the, you'll never be ready. Just merge. Like uh, I know it's like a funny, like action packed (laughs) moment, but like it really gets me. And then there's like the moment where Ian like, can't do a spell and I don't even know if he does the spell but you know he turns back to Barley and Barley just says in like the most like quiet supportive way the like Woody you'll be fine voice like hey you can do this like there's just like these really quiet honest moments um and then oh my god dude the thing that really just like shatters me every time when Barley shares his fourth memory Mm. I just even just thinking about it now like I'm getting like, it's just, oh, it like, it wrecks me. It yeah. really, really wrecks me. Like, I feel, I just feel so connected to him and that moment and that whole sort of experience, like, of, of like, not knowing how to act or be in a moment where you're, like, losing somebody and then yeah. regretting not having the right actions, like, pretty much for the rest of your life. Yeah. And just having them sort of drop it on you, but in a way that feels real. Like, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily out of nowhere, I don't think. No, um, no, no, no. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, it just, it's, it's, it just really, like, hits me over the head every single time. Yeah. I, I do, I agree. It's, that's all very good. I, I think it's kind of funny that his fourth memory is also kind of Star-Lord's backstory in Guardians of the Galaxy, too. <laughs> so, okay, there are, there actually, I feel like a number of, uh, like connect, like Tom Holland. I know I know this happens after the fact, but like Tom Holland in Uncharted, like there's a scene in Uncharted that is basically the exact same. Like, oh no, we're almost drowning. Will we be able to like do the thing? And <laughs> like, it's just it's like yeah. there 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 are definitely like uh, there are a lot of tropes utilized in this movie. Um, yeah, sure. But, uh, I mean, it makes sense. It's I a, think it's classical fantasy stuff. You're gonna get a yeah. Lot. And I think that this movie, I think this movie justifies making the choices it does. I mean, you could never see Guardians of the Galaxy and then you'd never, you know, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Know, so. No, I don't think that that's a problem for the movie. I, it's a, it's just like a funny thing given the casting. Yeah. Um, but that because it, it's such a specific like. <laughs> a specific like traumatic um, event to happen to two different characters. You know what's um, funny though? I feel like this does way more effective job of communicating that so moment too. and we don't even see so it. Too. Like we see so the whole moment in Guardians of the Galaxy and I love Guardians of the Galaxy. It's one of my favorite, if not maybe still my favorite, like Marvel movie. Um it's not the strongest part of that movie though, No, it shot. doesn't it doesn't hit nearly as hard as I think no. this one does. I no, I agree with you. I think this is more effective. I think I actually think saving it for the end like closer to the end um i think honestly makes it more effective because you get to know the character whereas guardians of the galaxy it's just sort of like it's like oh this is the character's origin story okay you know you yeah. know what i mean like i think that that honestly makes a big difference um like this is something where it ends up feeling like oh this is a piece to the puzzle that i didn't know was missing with the barley character and now he makes a little bit more sense knowing this yeah um i think is why it works so well i think barley also in comparison to star lord i think star lord is like very frequently communicated as like a broken person <laughs> sure yeah um and i think barley you get that sense but i think he does a better job of of like uh i guess like communicating a persona but also i think a lot of it's maybe more genuinely just him like i think i think he's genuinely an enthusiastic and excited person i think he genuinely is passionate about the things that he he's passionate about i think he still uses those things to like uh cope but i i think his whereas star lord i think does destructive things to cope with his past (laughs) Uh i think barley tries his best to like utilize the things that uplift him sure uh, you know instead so maybe that's maybe that's why it hits a little bit better for me because it's like oh fuck man like you actually like you're doing fine but this still haunts you yeah i think that makes sense yeah um the other big emotional thing i think is like the actual like scene of realization that ian has with his list oh Um, my god that i think what's really what i really like about that scene actually is that it's a scene, I think it's like well constructed in that it is a scene where on screen almost literally nothing is happening. He's sitting down with a pen, putting a check on a piece of paper. Like mm-hmm. that's it on a list. Nothing's happening. But yet the music is so loud. <laughs> like <laughs> the music is swelling. It is, it is, they are putting the score of what would be your epic fantasy action sequence of the hero, like plunge cutting off the head of the dragon or whatever. (laughs) Right. It is like that kind of bombastic, huge score for something that visually is like almost nothing. Right. Um, And I think that that's really, I think that that's really clever. It almost feels like another way of sort of, you know, colliding your like epic classic fantasy with like, quote unquote mundane like life yeah. stuff right um because that is you know it everything that's happening is internal for ian like his realization like oh barley was my father figure all along and i that's he he was he 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 was like my guardian the person that like taught me everything i know you know mm-hmm. um and it is i mean it's really beautifully handled i just i just think that that whole that whole that whole scene is just really extremely well done i think it's so good i i have to ask you because i I think you tend to be much better at identifying these things and like knowing, mm-hmm. knowing a lot of like, uh, like you have a better collection of like story structures and and certainly tropes and like, uh, like setups and payoffs and stuff than I do. Sure. Did you, what, do you remember the first time you watched it? Like, did you know that's where things were going? Did you see that coming since no, you'd I seen the didn't. list? 
I didn't at all, actually. Oh, I didn't, that makes I, me I, really happy. Yeah, all of that, all of that stuff, that with his list, and then the way that the reunion with dad goes with just Barley and his dad, I didn't see any of that coming. I knew that there was going to be some big emotional something happening, but I, I really... And I was open to it being like not the most basic, like the family has a reunion just in time and says goodbye. And yeah, no yeah. Lie. Like I, I was open to it being something different, but I truly had no idea what, you know, what I was going to go with. And I knew that or what was going to happen. But and I knew that, you know, I, I figured there was going to be some somehow there's going to be a newfound appreciation for Barley. Um, and even as I think the flashbacks were starting to happen in this scene when he's having the realization, it was just like yeah, he's going to remember that Barley's like a great brother. And then it just becomes more and more apparent. Like, oh no, it, he is literally like a father figure throughout his entire, and through who throughout his entire life has like checked off every box that Ian has ever wanted from his father. You yeah. Know? Like literally checked off uh, every box. Yeah. Getting goosebumps all over again. I really like this movie. I, I it's, it's, there's plenty. I think, it's interesting. There is plenty about this movie that could be f- like more fine tuned or tighter or like, uh, yeah. you know, pushed a little bit further or whatever. But I just, I really think they just nail like the emotional impact of this movie. I, I agree. really, really it's, think so. And it's funny because I yeah. saw, I saw at least, um, I think a couple folks talk about how like this movie sacrifices some of its plotting for emotion. And I was like, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, like I think it would be ideally. I think ideally you'd do both, but I think if I had to have one, I'd rather have an emotional gut punch than like a, a perfect story, like a perfect plot, you know? Yeah. That's that, that very much, that's a conversation I've heard just in general with stuff. I think that that is a very much like, you have a brain, you either have a brain that works with one or a brain that works with the other. You either are here for the emotional story and like that can kind of override everything else. If, if the, if emotionally it feels authentic and it's you and for other people, it really is like, it has to work logistically and the plot has to make sense. And the things like, if you have a plot hole for the sake of an emotional beat, then like, why did you make a a story? Like I kind of, I understand (laughs) the perception. I'm, 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 in your in, in uh, on on the I'm I'm sort of along the same lines as you with things like I am perfectly fine sacrificing plot beats. You can have the messiest fucking plot imaginable if I'm crying at the end of it because I deeply connected with the characters and the characters themselves feel authentic and yeah. like real and I feel like I've gone on a journey with them. Then like that's what matters to me. That's why I engage with art is to like feel things. Yeah rather than just like solve a puzzle or whatever, you know? Um, and that's how I, I remember yeah. things anyway. You know, it's, it, it's, I don't know if it's a chicken or an egg type thing, right? It's probably a little bit of both. They probably feed into each other, but like, I remember how media makes me feel anyway. Like I don't, I don't yeah. even necessarily remember all the story beats. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes I think the argue, the, the counter argument that I'm, that I'm happy to concede to, it's not even an argument. Cause like I said, it's just a, a, a what you want from, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. from art. It, it's ultimately what you personally want from art and from stories. But I do, think that like there are some stories that are intentionally constructed to be a puzzle to be solved or to be like focused on the plot i think that and if, if you're you not go, really really nailing the punch then like yeah. you, it can feel like you haven't earned the emotional right. payoff yeah i, I you totally get it yeah you can't you can't approach like a christopher nolan movie in the same way that you approach like a movie like this you're not gonna cry at most christopher nolan movies <laughs> but you are gonna have fun trying to figure out like you know what weird puzzle he's constructing and yeah. like what's uh what what interesting like ways that like the plot is moving or that things are stacking up sure, or what it's, like, sure. trying to say or whatever like 
But those movies are basically motionless, in my opinion. Uh, I love them to death. But that's one of the cool my favorites, thing about art, right? But, it's like it's not all yeah, the same. No, they're not yeah, all setting out to do right. the same thing. That's to say, like one of my favorites. But I go to I go to Christopher Nolan movies for a very looking for a very specific specific thing, and I go to Pixar movies looking for typically a very specific thing, which is to feel something. Mm-hmm. And this movie makes me feel things. I think it's a messy as fuck movie in a lot of ways, <laughs> and I don't and I don't think it it works in in a lot of ways in terms of the world it's created. But I do. I, I do connect very deeply with the characters and I think these characters are very well fleshed out and it is a very cryable movie. (laughs) That's interesting. I feel like, uh, I feel like the more I watch this movie, the more I appreciate things that I probably didn't before, but are you able to rapid fire some of those things that you feel like, uh, that are just especially messy? It it is pretty much what I said at the top is that I don't think the world is particularly fleshed out. And I think that, I think that cult is shoehorned into the story. And I think that it's, um, I think that like going from point A to point B, like I like the idea of it being like we found a clue to take us to the next thing. But like it often I feel like at once they leave the Manticore, you know, to go on their Manticore's tavern to go on their quest, like it's just like. All right, we're driving for a while, and now we found the place to go, and now it's pointing us to the next place to go. And it's not really in a way that feels like creative, I guess, enough, you know? So maybe messy isn't the right word for that, I guess. Um, it's not that the plot is nonsensical or anything. It just like feels like it's, I don't know. I, no, don't know. I, I get you. I, here, so here's my question then. Like, does Pixar, as a whole studio, which is maybe unfair because obviously there's different creators and different ideas and different writers and stuff, but like as a studio, as a canon, Pixar doing epics, right? Or epic inspired stories where it mm-hmm. is this sort of like long journey. Like, how do we feel about the record? I guess what's even in there, right? This is in there. I would argue good dinosaurs in there. Brave. Uh, Bra- Bra- is, is Brave in there? Um, yeah, Brave is an epic fantasy thing. I mean, I'm talking about I guess like, it is weird. like the odd, like an Odyssey type. Yeah, um, I guess like, Brave is. I think really Finding Nemo kind of fits in there. It's probably maybe, yeah. maybe their best example of it. Yeah. Um, like the the epic journey of it all, um, yeah. I wonder if their record with it is more not good than good because I think I think Finding Nemo and I guess Finding Dory by default fit into that because they're sort of the same genre of movie, uh, and I think those are both with Nemo being the better example, uh, pretty successful. What are other? I, I don't know if they're. I'm sure I'm missing something. Mm. I, guess I mean, Toy Story has Toy it a Story. little bit. Yeah, 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 we were on the same same wavelength. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I think it's because I think like Pixar excels when they are very deeply honing into a world that they have. Um, and I think that they operate a little better when it's like not smaller scale in terms of stakes or anything, but more like narrowly approaching an idea. You know what I mean? Like more or more, more specifically focused on a particular idea. And I think that the only way, the ways that you make a, an epic, I think the reason Nemo works is because it's a world that does like very directly exist in the real world. Mm. And, and I think that they were very like, I think in a lot of ways, pretty, pretty accurate to how it is. Obviously there's, there's more personalities and stuff because they're talking fish. But like, I think that they, they did kind of do their research on them for Nemo. Um, And so you don't really need, you don't really have as many questions for like the world building for it because it is sort of like a journey 
in in a world that exists just like any road trip movie would be but then with something like a good dinosaur and something like onward you go into it with a lot more questions of how the worlds operate because they are distinctly different from us and part of your approach to the movie is like asking the question of like what if x like what if dinosaurs still existed and and evolved what if fantasy creatures were in the modern day like the what if is a big part of it and i do think you can answer that what if question in a you know epic odyssey slash road trip kind of movie i think that's possible but i think the problem is that pixar because they work best focusing like honing in on character relationships within that kind of journey they end up never kind of leaving enough room to just fill out the world and answer the what if concept because you have to also get the plot involved as well whereas when it's something like inside out for example which well i guess inside out is kind of an odyssey movie too but i think some of them i think the difference is like good dinosaur and onward and finding nemo i think there's sort of a constant movement. I mean, there's stop downs, but if you look at something like Toy Story or Inside Out, I think there are the moments where you're spending in one place, you're spending much more time in that one place. Like I'm thinking of like Sid's house. There are multiple things that happen at Sid's house, but they spend a lot of time at Sid's house. Right. You know, it's, it's not like the whole movie is them getting back to Andy, even though that's what it is. It's not like the journey of getting back to Andy. It's like one of the things that makes Toy Story so frustrating in a good way, the tension, is that they're literally next door you know yeah and inside out it's same way they're not really technically that far away from their goal ever it's just hard to get there and when and they do spend a lot of time you know in individual areas that very deeply interrogates like what this sort of universe would be like if your mind operated like like it does in inside out right so it's still answering that what if question i think like onward and good dinosaur as sort of i think the prime examples for movies that kind of fail at answering the what if question it, it is because they they don't really seem to be that interested in that what if question you know they, I, they are interested in the characters themselves on that journey and then end up not filling out the world around them enough and i think that i think that matches their general philosophy i think when they say character and story first, I don't think they're necessarily talking about plot. I think they're talking about like, does the, does the story serve the characters and are the characters connecting with the audience? You know what I mean? So I think they would prioritize in a situation where they had to choose. I think they also would probably prioritize character and relationships and emotional gut punches. Mm. Um, So, which is why I think even in some of the weakest Pixar movies, I still will end up, feeling at least one emotional gut punch you know what i mean sure so yeah yeah so that that, that's interesting though i've never really thought about pixar as a whole and their ability to tell like an odyssey type story i mean an odyssey type story is also really hard to tell i mean the odyssey is is what it is uh yeah you know but but (laughs) it it, it, but but it isn't it isn't though like it's such an it's also it is archetypal i think for a reason you know does that Um, make it harder or easier I guess in that you have the structure kind of right in front of you very obviously. I think what it's, it's so uh, maybe easier to like come up with it, but it maybe is harder to like feel like you're actually having a new spin on it, you know, which I think fits onward, right? That's part of onward's problem. If you know, yeah, I think that's part of focusing on like the critical aspects. Like, yeah, it doesn't push things very far. It doesn't necessarily fill every stop along the way. Yeah. There's kind of like these big open, expanses which yeah and i get why they're there but i don't know that they're serving the movie as well as yeah I think that, it's like that it does 
it is very much like uh, the middle part is kind of a stuff that happens kind of movie. Like, oh, no, Barley accidentally is tiny, which is like cute and funny. <laughs> oh, no, they accidentally run into pixies. Oh, no. Funny, okay. Though, when you list off all the things, I'm like, but don't get rid of any of it. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. It's I, I, don't, I wouldn't take away anything. Yeah, yeah. I would honestly add, want to add more. But then I would say maybe you, you sh- maybe you shouldn't add more because then you don't want to take away from the emotional crux of the story. So, like, yeah. I think that it was just I don't think it's. I think maybe in this scenario, it was never possible to kind of appease both sides of it. You know, like you can't really fully feel like you've satisfyingly uh, dealt with the what if question Mm -hmm. of the world at the same time as servicing the characters. And I think they chose the better option ultimately. Yeah. And I do think ultimately when it boils down to it, you have to have a story that at least makes sense. Right. So if it turns out that they're like, we've been trying to solve this problem for so long and we just need a solution that makes sense. like. I, I I can get it. I get where it's like, okay, we finally found something that makes sense. Now can we please allocate our resources over here to figuring out, you know, the emotional beats and the characters. Like I, I get where you might end up with like, oh, you did a gelatinous cube. Cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I like the gelatinous cube. I Don't do get me wrong. Gelatinous cubes are fun. I wish there was more in that little final dungeon that they're in, <laughs> I will say, other than just the gelatinous cube and some spears. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Is what it is. Um, I like the dragon. I think the dragon's really f- that's, fucking fun. That's really funny. That feels, uh, I guess, not exclusively Pixar, but it does feel like a thing Pixar would do. It totally is. It is a very, I mean, you have the idea of like a rock dragon, an art, a dragon yeah. that's going to come to life from the material around it, but like they're in a suburbia. That that does right. feel like kind of part of that what if question of like if there was a magical dragon construct, well, constructs in uh, in current present day are like school buildings yeah. and cars and stuff. Um, <laughs> Um, so I, I, yeah, so I think it's really cool. I think the design of it is really cool. I, think I love having, that its like, roar being a school siren school, is amazing. So good, yeah. Your school, like the school bell roar, <laughs> very funny. And I love the way that it's like eyebrows have to like separate itself and then move to give itself an angry face. Yeah, good yeah, stuff. It's good. Yeah, I like this one. I like it a yeah. lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it's, uh, it just. I don't know. It's just good. I think I think it's one that's going to continue to to go up for me just for the reasons I already talked about. Um and I just I'm I'm so excited we finally got to it. I agree. I agree. I I feel like we're kind of wrapping up, but real quick before we do, is there any um any visual oh. stuff that uh that like any like a technological advancements? I know we've said for multiple movies now, not really anymore cuz it's all good, but is there anything that you know of that like they were like, this was going to be a challenge and we put ourselves up to the challenge for it. Yeah. So one of the things that I think was, I mean, aside from the pants, the pants uh, honestly gave them more challenges than I think they probably even realized, but it had more to do with like, how do you shoot effective scenes when uh, you only have pants and no face and no hands. So like literally figuring out one of the things they cite all the time is like literally figuring out how they are going to talk to the pants and you are going to see their face at the same time in where you would normally do an over the shoulder shot. They were like, I guess we do an over the butt shot, which we do see in the movie. So <laughs> a lot of it was just them figuring out like, how do we shoot effective emotional moments with pants? Um, but that wasn't really a technological thing more as more as it was just like a directing challenge and a sure. cinematography thing. Um, the thing that I thought was especially interesting was they decided, I mean, they just decided to make the spells a challenge. Essentially. They really wanted to capture mm. 
the feeling of what magic looked like in traditional 2D movies, knowing they weren't making one. So they actually studied old Disney movies that incorporated magic, um, probably a lot of them, but the ones they specifically cited were Fantasia, which made my brain very happy because that was like my favorite movie as a child, and I see it. And they also mentioned like Aladdin and Hercules as movies that incorporate particular brands of magic. And so what they did was because they were studying these traditionally animated movies, they, they conceived and, and at least, at least crudely animated, if not going even further than that, all of their magic, uh, in 2d first, uh, either traditionally or 2d on a computer. And then took those ideas once they figured out what they wanted it to look like and then adapted it from that. So they, it's 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 all like weird sort of like technical stuff to say the magic looks cool, but they really wanted to make sure it it resembled and harkened back to what traditionally animated magic looked like. Oh, that's fascinating. I would have never. I I don't think that. it's necessarily obvious, but once you yeah. once you know where they're pulling inspiration from, I think you can begin to see it, especially yeah, with cool. Fantasia. No, I you know the way that, yeah the way that it's sort of like is sort of like this light energy with sparkles and stuff mm-hmm. in it I guess yeah no that does check out I, I I didn't pick up on any of that but that's that's very cool I think that's more what we're in store for. like I think that's more what's in store for us now that we're at this point in Pixar's life right where it's mm-hmm. like now they're just creating their own challenges they know they can represent the real world so how do we represent things either that don't exist in the real world in the way that we want to or how do we stylize something right so mm-hmm. they could have just made. I, I was about to say realistic magic, but they could have just made magic that just looks like lightning, but they wanted yeah. it to look like 2D traditionally animated lightning, you know? Yeah, that's um, very cool. I like which that. is a weird challenge to give yourself, but I'm glad they do that stuff still. I think it keeps them pushing themselves, especially yeah. since Onward is a very sort of traditional Pixar looking movie with right. my big air quotes, you know? Yeah. Um, it doesn't look like Turning Red, which is very stylized. It doesn't look like Luca, which is very stylized, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I, I like that they find those challenges for themselves. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Anything we left off of our list of things to talk about here? I don't think so. Actually, we got to a lot of stuff. Yeah. I, really there's, did. You know, yeah. I mean, there, there is like, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. You know, there's stuff like the, 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 uh, bridge rope magic, invisible bridge sequence. That's like very anxiety inducing. <laughs> like there are lots of really good moments like that. Just like individual. And just Ian using all those spells he learns at the end. I know we yes. call out that he is like the wizard at the end, but I do like that he uses every single one of them and it all culminates in him using the one spell he couldn't pull off. Like it's, right. it's very satisfying. Very cool. Very cool. The only other note that I have, this is so stupid, but you know, you know how, uh, how, uh, Barley's van, like it has a gas gauge that just doesn't work. It's like, <laughs> it's full all the time. Yeah, uh, my family, oh, that doesn't my, work. <laughs> my family had one, a, a car like, that. Oh, we, had, had, we had an Isuzu trooper that perpetually, oh, actually, an in a Suzu, yeah, those don't even exist anymore. I don't think. No, I don't think so. But it perpetually said it was empty. Actually, oddly <laughs> enough, uh, and and I remember my dad would just like keep track of the mileage, oh basically, gosh, which is which is like so like. Ooh. Now I was a kid when that was going on, and now as an adult, I'm like I couldn't do that. I would just get a new fucking car. Like I would that would make that would make me so 
not not that it's that easy to just get a new car, but you know what I mean? No, I'd hate it. It would make me so anxious to be keeping track of that. I would go to the gas station constantly. Just I'll be so paranoid that I like did the math wrong or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how they got by. (laughs) I would not. No, I would. I would hate that. I I, I don't even know which one's worse. Probably neither. They both suck. But like eternally saying full or eternally saying empty. Like, I don't know which one is psychologically more beneficial. Like, I feel like psychologically the empty thing, you're always going to feel paranoid about it. At least the full (laughs) one, like you, there is going to be a point when it is full. So at least you'll have like a little bit of a reprieve, but the empty one, you're always feeling like you're driving and about to break down, you know? That's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. But that's it. <laughs> I guess the only other thing I have, and I truly don't want to talk about it, but I'll mention it because someone will say we didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's on the Wikipedia page, so everybody knows about it. Apparently, no. somebody sued them for stealing the design of their van or whatever, which I don't even know how you could do because that's like a thing. Is like that's, weird yeah, fantasy like vans. So many vans have a fucking like unicorn or Pegasus right, on it. That's, right. a very, that's a very common thing. So that's, I just don't want anyone silly. to be like, whoa, I can't believe you didn't talk about the person who sued them for their van. Yeah, because well, it's stupid. You didn't, st- didn't steal so, your I mentioned it, everybody. Go away. Basic ass, <laughs> normal, boring idea that you've seen a million times in both movies and real life. Calm down. Right, right. <laughs> Sorry, person, but random person. But that was very silly. All right. Well, we uh, we did it. We did it, everybody. We talked about, we talked about Onward and we are... F- firmly in this current modern unfortunately pandemic era of the films i'm very excited to get to all of them um and we got one down so uh if you are looking for more from us in the meantime before next month's rolls around uh check out all the things we're doing you can find uh them starting at patreon we have one of those at patreon.com slash walloping web snappers um that's the name of our spider-man podcast but it's the home of falling with style you can also check out our discord there should be a link in the show notes we do have a dedicated channel in there just for Pixar movies. If you'd like stuff just from Derek or just from me or just us individually, uh, you can find us all over the internet. Derek, where can people find you and the stuff you're working on? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find my podcast Gimmicks, which looks at the high concept and experimental and structure breaking gimmicky episodes of television with a new guest and new show every week. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Gimmicks Pod. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. If you like books and video games, you can listen to me on a podcast called Novel Gaming, which I do with my friends Katie and Vicky. We just catch up on all the media we've been consuming lately. And if you like Pokemon, you can listen to me on a podcast called Victory Road. It's a Pokemon podcast where I get together every once in a while and just talk about Pokemon as I feel like it. If you'd like more from Derek and me podcasting, you can actually get quite a lot of it on our Spider-Man podcast, Walloping Web Snappers. It's a weekly deep dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. Yep, all of them. And you can listen to that wherever you get your podcast. Please visit our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com for a full archive of all of our episodes together and follow Walloping Web Snappers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod. You can email us about Pixar stuff specifically at pixarpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe on all of your podcast platforms. Because if you like what we're doing, somebody else will too. And those ratings and reviews help them find us next month. I am very excited to talk about this one. This was one of the movies I was most excited about um, in this sort of new era because uh, it sort of follows in the footsteps of one of my favorite uh, Pixar movies. And that movie is Soul. See you then. See ya.
It's almost like too quiet.